All right. Hi, this is Karen Lynn Elliott. And this is Layla Bernard. And you're listening to the Sleepover podcast. In the room with us, we've also got my wonderful husband, David Lovewell, and my daughter, Lulu. Layla has come over to my house this evening to um, teach me how to play Go um, and catch up, just chat. Uh, it's been about a week since we saw each other. Uh, about two weeks ago, we did our Sleepover Mystery School Hell first yeah, we did. immersion in Miami, which was wonderful we can't talk that much about it because we are sworn there's to secrecy. secrecy so there's that yeah. um we've but... all been initiated let's put it that way you may have been feeling may have been feeling <laughs> the heavy initiation vibes if you're a regular listener to the podcast so uh, yeah just that's... so you know that's what's been up yeah that's what's been up and that's what it's i mean i guess that's what? why it's been about it <laughs> yeah baby that's white this white she's got the the white go pieces um so yeah, that was about a. It's been about a month since we published a podcast episode, and I guess like just wanted to let the people know there's been a lot happening. We have not been um, slacking on our tireless efforts to um, precipitate awakening within ourselves and the world. Uh, we have, however, not been publishing our podcasts. But now here we are, back and live. And Layla's currently lighting some wonderful resin Italian incense that our friend Neil has been importing. This is called Vatican incense. Yep. So we're getting the Vatican vibes in here. This is exciting. So yeah. I'm really I'm curious what it smells like. I guess Neil has really been excited about the psychoactive properties of incense lately. We were yeah. yeah. He and I uh, had a fun time just the other day. Uh, using cannabis with frankincense as an incense. And uh, they use that in the church for a good reason. It's very, very mind-altering. It really, you can't... Like, they actually historically at times used cannabis with the frankincense? That's what Neil was telling me. Yeah, I'd read that somewhere. I thought, was that in like the early church, like before like the Council of Nicaea and stuff like that? Like when it was still actually like a mystery school? Well, you know me, Carolyn. I'm such a huge Philistine and I pay no attention <laughs> to dates and times okay. or places. I'm just cruising, cruising through the here and now. So I have no freaking idea. Yeah, when or how or what. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> In well, uh, I shall just remain curious then. Yeah. So I want to, let me give it a sniff. It's got some heavy frankincense mm. and myrrh vibes. Mm. Yeah, the packaging doesn't say what's in it, only that it is the Vatican incense. There's so. something red going on there. I wonder what the red is. Maybe it's some kind of acacia something. We've been, we've been really, about yeah, we've been talking about acacia a lot lately. David bought me this wonderful book um, called Angels in Vermilion about how there's, I guess, good textual and historical evidence to suggest that the Philosopher's Stone is a um, preparation. A preparation of acacia, um, which ends up being. Um, red DMT crystals that you can burn as incense um, and get high on, or you can ingest with some Syrian rue. Yeah. And um, I wonder, I wonder if it goes through all the like, you know, white, red, right, white, black, red phase, just like the. I mean, I'm guessing that that's. I think it does go through various phases. I mean, it's oh god, it's so complicated. Like I was reading the book. Um. I mean, it's codes upon codes in those alchemical texts. Totally. Um, but it is just fascinating to think about, which is like those drawings of angels, you know, cherubim with all the eyes and everything, 
I mean, that is uh, what DMT straight visions up, look up like. DMT visions, yeah. Yeah, and of course, you know, um, alchemy, like plant alchemy, um, is a form of external alchemy. And it's also very evident to me that, like, internal alchemy practices, you know, like Taoist or Vajrayana Buddhist, where people are, you know, or whatever, Indian, raising the sexual energy, Tumo, Kundalini, secret fire, whatever, whatever we want to call it, uh, bringing that up to the crown. I hope that's not super loud. Her playing with the stones. Yeah, Lulu's got one hand in the pot of black stones and one hand in the pot of white stones. I'll just try to keep it over here. Well, maybe we'll just talk a little bit louder and try to keep the phone further away from the stone mixture. I love the sound of ghost stones rattling on each other. So it is kind of great. You're welcome. You're welcome, everyone. You're welcome, everybody. So what was I thinking? Um. Oh, the inner alchemy the inner, of, like, the well, fire. Well, so the inner alchemy produces endogenous DMT. Right? right, right, right. All of those practices are facilitating the, like, product, like the stimulation of your pineal gland to release the DMT that gives you the same experience as consuming these entheogenic compounds. Yeah, so it, just, it makes sense to me that the external plant alchemy would be all about that D- DMT. All about the DMT, right. <laughs> so... What we're really talking about is DMT. All DMT all the time. (laughs) What is weird to me is that that never occurred to me before I read that book. I just, I was just always like, yeah, the stone. I mean, I would think of it either in metaphorical terms as, you know, like the realization of the self with capital S, or I would think about it as just like some mysterious substance that I really did not know what it was. Right. And it was just funny because I've had plenty of DMT in my life. I mean, as far as I've been blessed, very fortunate. Fortunately by the gods of ayahuasca and other other magical beings. And yeah, to, to receive it. One thing, one story that I thought was really fun from that book was about how... Okay, so, so obviously we know that the... Um, the Bufo toad is a source of 5-MeO-DMT, and that toad, I guess, is um, only in North America. But So the authors of this book were puzzling over, slash musing over, all of these drawings, um, alchemical drawings, witchcraft drawings, with toads featured prominently Wait, the, in them. The witch's toad, licking the, licking the witch's toad and getting the warts of knowledge. And they were, they were just sort of like stumped on this, like, well, you know, the bufo toad is only in North America, why are they... But it seems pretty obvious to me that there was probably... Maybe there currently are DMT toads in Europe, or there were, but they were just, people were so into DMT that they oh. ate up all the toads. Or, <laughs> like, or possible, knowing the rapaciousness of European appetites, possible. Um, but also, like, weirdly, what that's making me think about, Carolyn, is um, when I was reading The Cosmic Serpent, which is a book about, you know, the the... The, like anyway, it's a book about DNA and um, consciousness and ayahuasca shamanry mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and basically shamanism in general. And he says in that book that it's you know the symbol of the shaman the world round is the snake, even in places where the actual reptilian snake is unknown. Hmm. So like even in like far northern Russian like Russian places where they're like northern Asia where like snakes just don't exist because it's too cold, the shamans there still decorate their clothing and their drums and their you know shamanic apparatuses with snakes. 
so they see them in vision because they see the snake in the vision and like the ayahuasca spirit reveals itself as a snake and like it's the snake anyway you know that makes perfect so, sense to me because before i ever knew that bufo toads were a thing I had, like, freaky dreams where, like, a witch would, like, put a toad in my hand and I'd eat the toad and, like, trip balls in the dream. Right. So, obviously, it's right. communicated. Right. right. So, even if there are no European DMT toads, somehow the, like, toad medicine in the collective human earth Gaian unconscious it is there. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about that, the toad's like, oh, me? You mean me? <laughs> <laughs> Also, probably totally DMT European codes. <laughs> yes, yeah, right. I mean, right, yeah. I just really think so. But um, but anyways, um, I feel like you know Lulu has thoroughly mixed the ghost stones for us. I feel like they've been blessed. And um, been blessed. Tell, so you were telling me a little bit about Go, Layla, because I don't know anything about it. So it's a Chinese game, and you were saying so. So I'm like also kind of relearning about it. This is a game that my dad, um, where my great Zen master dad Jim Johnson, uh, was all about and loved this game. Uh, David and I were talking before we got on here about how like Go is kind of like the Yin right brain counterpart to the young left brain game of chess hmm. so like chess is it's it's interesting because like um like i've heard people like my dad who's a ghost snob who also loves chess be like che- like chess is to checkers as go is to chess hmm. like there's a huge difference in level of complexity which is also interesting because like checkers is a very simple game played with you know pieces that all have the same value and all move the same and so is go also a very simple game with very simple rules of just black and white pieces that are all worth the same. Not like in chess where, where there's like pawns that are kind of like lowly and then like, you know, all the different pieces that have different properties and up to like the king and queen, which are like the most powerful, valuable pieces. Go is similar to checkers in that every piece when it goes on the board is an equal piece. Okay. There's just little units, which like kind of is like rhyming to me with the like quantum particles of like, everything's just a little particle and it's all about how it's arranged and connected to the whole. Right, right, right. What was that thing you were saying about there's this oh, many, yeah. what? Yeah, so okay, so cha- so Go is a game that's played on like, a, if you've never seen it before, you can Google it, Japanese Go. Um, and it looks like, uh, it's a, you know, it's got a grid. It's got a grid on the board, and then there's just black and white circular pieces that you lay down on the board. And how and, many, um, like, what's the, the grid? Well, so like- traditionally it's played on a 19 by 19 board, okay. but when you're learning, that's, like, actually a huge amount of territory to manage. And so when you're learning, or if you want to play a faster game, you can play on a 13 by 13 or a 9 by 9 grid. Um, which like there's something kind of sexy to me about how like chess has like a even number of like an even square, whereas the go boards are always odd number squares. It just like feels more feminine, feels more like odd, you know, mm. odd. But yeah, so I was telling Carolyn that one of the like freaky weird things that I learned about as I was kind of re exploring this game today is that um, there's like two times ten to the hundred and eighth power different possible board configurations in Go, which is many multitudes more possibilities than there are atoms in the known universe. The number of atoms in the known universe is like roughly 10 to the 80, 10 to the 80th power, and this game has two times 10 to the 108th power possibilities, which just, you know, 
speaking of DMT, is like a sort of weird. That's uh, insane. Right. So it's like a weird property of infinity within infinity, right? Like the manifest universe of which we are only like the tiniest little tiny shred. Like we can look at a board that has more possibilities than everything that already exists. And that just blows my mind. Carolyn and David are wandering around taking care of Lulu. So I'm just here with you guys. Um, yeah, Japanese go. Go. Okay, okay, y'all. Yeah. Carolyn's mom just called asking us when the next podcast episode was going to be released. So there's some yeah. mother-daughter psychic stuff happening. And <laughs> we're on it. We're on it, Linda. We're it's trying, happening. Linda. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, so I was just, I was just uh, talking about how the po- number of possible combinations of Go positions on the Go board are far, far greater, like 10 to the 20th, 28th power greater than the number of atoms in the known universe. My mind can't understand that. My mind says that can't be true. My mind is like, no, there has to be less possibilities of a go board than the number of atoms in a universe. This is the, the secret of the cobs is in the coup, not the coup in the cobs, which is in the book of the law. And as far as I understand it, it means that your body is inside of your spirit, not your spirit inside of your body. So, like, right. matter is inside this greater, larger thing of spirit, which the human mind created the parameters that give us these amount of potentials on the go board. And the atoms of matter exist inside of that, which is why there's, like, way less matter than spirit. Even though I think the really potentiality. it's... Uh, the same thing is just a spectrum from dense to subtle and it's all part of the same substance but i digress i'm gonna keep walking well <laughs> david is incensing the house while we while we talk it's very it's very lovely to have these experiences of these glorious men just like filling the air with amazing sense and just like creating the vibe it does like seem to be what men like to vibe. do around us burn a lot of incense burn it's unto very... me incense <laughs> Burn unto me the resinous gums (laughs) in the desert at night. To me, to To me. me. (laughs) Precisely. So it's happening. The poetry is, the the prophecy is coming to pass. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I mean, I can like nerd out on that. Just, yeah, exactly. Like David was saying, like, well, and it's not necessarily, I mean, obviously it's not like the pieces are more numerous than the number of atoms in the universe, right, but the, the possible, possible configurations of the board are more numerous. And so it's like, yeah, the imaginal space, the realm of possibility, even in like, you know, we're sitting here with a go board, it's like 18 inches by 18 inches across, like just, it just looks very regular. It's just a little grid uh, on a piece of bamboo mm-hmm. and... uh that contains the potential, the, the possible imaginations of how these black and white, you know, just two colors, only two, on and off, black and white, yin and yang, the possibility of how those forces might interact in this like very bounded and limited space is so great. Like the imaginal realm is enormously huger than matter in the universe hot damn hot damn yeah <laughs> well it's like i was nerding out with you carolyn earlier this summer like talking about you know the different realms of infinity and how like you know if you start at zero you can go all the way up to positive infinity and you can go all the way back to negative infinity and you can go you know to the side infinity and to the you know to left infinity to the right infinity you can go like 
you know, up infinity, down infinity, but you can also, in the space between zero and one, there's an infinite number of numbers. You can infinitely <laughs> divide one. It, you can divide one into an infinity of pieces. So, like, this is just, I mean, this is just the trippy-ass fractal that we live in where no matter where you look, it's, like, infinite turtles all the way down. You will never arrive at the center of the matrix because the center is constantly receding. Mm -hmm. There is infinite potential in literally every direction, in, out, up, down, left, right, forward, back. Mm. Mm. So Mm. if you're ever feeling small, it's because you are a tiny (laughs) little tiny piece inside of infinity, but you also contain infinitude, so you are also hugely enormous. That's so comforting. It is is really comforting. This conversation is... Reminding me, I got this book for David for his birthday, um, Misty by Peter Mark Adams, the same guy who wrote uh, The Game of Saturn. So it's from Scarlet Imprint. And I guess Peter Mark Adams, I'm pretty sure getting dude's name right. He's a, um, I, I guess, an art historian. And there were these frescoes found in Pompeii um, that represent an initiation into the mysteries of Dionysus. Whoa. And a fresco in Pompeii. Have you been to the Pompeii exhibit that's happening here in Pittsburgh right now? No. Carolyn, we should go. Oh, my God, we have to go. We, we have totally to have, oh to God, go. We have to go. We have to go. Okay, well, so some a few things that were really interesting to me learning about the Dionysian mysteries, because I've been, you know, in preparation for our mystery school, I've been reading a whole lot about the Eleusinian mysteries, but what I didn't know is that the Dionysian, which are also known as the Orphic mysteries, basically oh, same, same, oh. because Orphism apparently was just like a cosmopolitan sort of overlay upon the, the country Dionysian country Dionysian it's like the nerd Dionysus cult yeah it's like the the like yeah we're, we're like we're based on these intense mystery experiences that we've had we're gonna think about it and nerd out and come up with some poetry expand our consciousness right. come up with some more math do some more refined intellectual shit but also by the way we figured this all out yeah. By yeah, and I'm imbibing speak, the mysteries. Speaking of math, like Pythagoras and Orpheus were often spoken of as if they were the same person. Isn't that right. far out? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the I think poet they were the, the poet and the mathematician. Yeah. Oh, I was just having a great conversation uh, with my new friend Alan today about how we both had like huge, sort of like yeah, awakenings through the language of math. That's sexy. By the way, Alan is Alan David's Hart. old yeah. friend. Oh my God. Yeah. Alan Hart is David's friend from like first grade and my friend from like 15 years ago. Yeah. And, and, and I randomly list. met him on a dating app. So like the universe just reveals itself in its own time. Oh, so there's only like a very, I don't want to be super rude, but there's a small number of hot magical men on dating apps in Pittsburgh, by the way. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if this is in the scope of this podcast, but we could definitely talk about the types of humans represented in the very coarse... uh, On Tinder in Pittsburgh, there's a whole lot of people wearing, a whole lot of men wearing penguins uh, gear. Steelers hats. Or Steelers hats. Mm -hmm. Holding their proudest fish catch. Oh, yes. Yeah, or or deer. Or or their deer. Or their four-wheeler or motorcycle. Anyway, which is, like, not to say that that's lame. Like, sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, like, men just, like, do stuff all the time. 
but yeah, there's definitely there's definitely uh, some categories. <laughs> I, I mean, I know we love to talk about boys on our podcast because it is the profound mystery of the universe. But like, but anyways, <laughs> a little bit a little bit more to say, just a little bit more. We were talking, we're talking about, about math. infinity, we're math, talking about infinity. We're talking about math. or oh yeah, okay. okay. We're so one of, one of the things that I thought was really cool <laughs> when learning about the Dionysian mysteries, um, just um, in the infinite vanity, is that. You know, Eleusis was, right, this established place where people came to for like 2,000 years continuously to this place. But the Dionysian mysteries apparently were most often conducted by itinerant families. There were, so there was one family that ran Eleusis, and I guess they got themselves set up and settled there. But the Dionysian initiatory families were wandering families. And, and multiplic- like multiple. Multiple. And they were basically, they were known by their reputation how much of a connection they had to the god and how, how good their rights were. How sick their initiations, how fat their DMT was. Exactly. <laughs> so there were some that were like, you know, had bad reputations. Like they were not the real deal. They were like maybe... Charlatans. Charlatans or they were like some shitty branch of the family, like a bunch of fuck-ups that just did not keep their relationship with God tight enough to really deliver the goods. And then there were other, you know... Other parts of the itinerant uh, family, priest priestessing family, that were like, oh my, like, like they would come to town, everybody would freak out, they would be like, oh my god, we're about to like, yeah. learn some shit. <laughs> yeah. And cool. I just thought that that was like really fascinating, and also, you know, just because we're sort of doing right the like the the fly by night itinerant version <laughs> of the mystery school, right? We're well, yeah, we're accidentally we're accidentally being a little well, and I mean that came up. I mean, we, without saying too much, I feel like we were really invoking the spirit of we well, invoked both Dionysus and well, right, Corey, you well, know, right, like, well, well, absolutely, well, of course. I mean, and the Eleusinian mysteries. I mean, Dionysus is a huge part of the Eleusinian mysteries. It was just sort of like at Eleusis, the emphasis was more on Corey and Demeter, sort of more on the the goddess dimension of the mystery, and in the Dionysian rites, the emphasis was just a bit more on the Dionysus. The, the Dionysus, and well, also, so- this, also what I thought was fascinating that I never yeah. knew before was that, so one of Dionysus's main consorts in these mysteries is Ariadne, who, famous from the story of, um, you know, the Minotaur, she helped Theseus navigate out of the labyrinth so he didn't get eaten by the Minotaur back in Crete. So these are old-ass stories, so, like, um, but apparently Dionysus falls in love with Ariadne and has Artemis appear to her and kill her so that he can be with Ariadne in, in the underworld in the vast beyond. And and Ariadne receives the name of um she's she's known as uh she of the labyrinth. Mm. But it that's the kind of name that's you don't just give that to a mortal. So there's like the implication that I mean, from what I was sensing, like Peter Mark Adams did not say this outright, but from what I was sensing, like the implication is that Ariadne, as the Lady of the Labyrinth, is Persephone, is also like the queen of the underworld. The one who leads you through the dark mystery with the scary monster at your heels. Yes. Who, and, of course, so and in the stories, there's two mothers of Dionysus. So the mother, so I don't know, it gets complicated, but basically has a few different incarnations. So one of them, Dionysus Zagreus, 
he is the son of Persephone. And that's at Eleusis, at least, you know, Carl Karenyi seems to think that at Eleusis, part of the major revelation was like Persephone holding her newborn son, Dionysus, like... Who's also her lover. Who's also Pluto, because Dionysus and Pluto... <laughs> right, well, it's like the Isis Osiris. It, yeah, ex- exactly. Mar- it's the Mary Jesus. It's the, it's the, it's the real real. It's the real real. It's the, the divine alchemical incest. And... So, um, yeah, but I was just, we were having, um, I don't know, my mind was just being kind of blown because actually, I don't think this is to say too much about our rights either, but I was in, you know, we, I was working with, um, imagery of Pan, you know, because we had like, we were working with that thalamic stream, like Eo Pan, Eo Pan. And erotic erotic energy as alchemical energy. Yeah. And um, and I was trying to, to emanate myself as Babylon, you know, because Babylon and the beast, Pan is another name for the beast, doing like a tantric visualization. And I just couldn't keep the imagery of Babylon up. And I was just like, mm, fuck it. I'll just be a translucent rainbow nymph making love with Pan. And I, so I was like doing that visualization and like having like like beautiful realizations of emptiness and like DMT releases in my brain, like the good, good, you know, and what we're all after. Really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then days later, I was reading this book that arrived for David's birthday. And I was surprised to learn in there that the female initiates of the Dionysus cult were called nymphs which is a word that also means bride, I guess. And they were meant to see themselves in frenzied union with Pan, with Pan, with Dionysus in his form, his beastlier form as Pan, his more, you know, the raw sexuality. Because Dionysus, I mean, there's many flavors, right? There's sort of like a soft, effeminate, like... Wine drunk. Wine drunk. Uh, sexy twink boy. I can see him now. I can see him now. And then there's also like uh, Randy. Uh, Randy, you know, chase you through the forest, fuck all night under the full moon. Pan, Dionysus. Animal pan. Animal yeah. pan. Man and, pan and animal pan. Maybe that's yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all, all the flavors. But, anyways, I just thought that that was really fun. That was like, it was almost as if, I guess, my mind stream and tuning into the pan energy was like going into that nymph energy, and it was the the part of the... You were the, seeing the it. I was seeing well, just it. like we were talking about with the frogs earlier in this conversation, like, when you start thinking about one thing, then the universe is like, oh, let me show you the other <laughs> things about that. Let me show you what... Let me show you what we already know about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's really interesting. The thing that um, came into my mind when you were talking about the, like grounded in place you know more feminine Demeter uh Kore focused Eleusinian mysteries versus this like uh Dionysian nomadic thing is I'm like oh that's interesting that's kind of like the proton and the electron the like like the rooted grounded embodied feminine principle is like in a place in the body like in a cave (laughs) is in there sitting there receptive waiting for the you know initiates to come to it Whereas the, like, Dionysian version is, like, the electron, like, whirling around, changing around, moving, bringing the mystery to the people. 
like wherever they are floating around in their like action and like non-placeness of like motion it's like the chokma and the bina like different principles of like the ground and the motion anyway yeah absolutely and so i guess what i was also learning from truly book, there's only one thing going on i don't know like it's right. just in all of its different rhymes and all the different poems that the universe decides to write like so majestic it's, it's so majestic Majestic is the right word. That's, yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I guess I I highly recommend to everybody this book. It's a real favorite of mine these days called Karma Mudra, The Yoga of Bliss, which is by Dr. Nita Chen... Oh, it cannot pronounce... Okay, these Tibetan last names are very difficult to pronounce. Everybody, please forgive me in my terrible, terrible ignorance. But uh, the book is called Karma Mudra, The Yoga of Bliss. And that, in conjunction with Introduction to Tantra by Lama Yeshe, I feel is like a really, really powerful initiation in itself. A complete teaching. A very, very rich teaching about, you know, how to start accessing, you know, the ener- sexual energies and putting them towards non-dual awareness and like getting... Um, because like I've, since we did the Mystery School Weekend, I guess I've just had this like big inspiration in me to like be doing those practices and like you know the union of bliss and heat is the classic expression of that in like Vajrayana Tantrism like that's that's the goal is like the you you know the non-dual bliss and like the heat of existence and like realizing their union and I've been studying and like reading more about the Dionysian mysteries Orphic Eleusinian it just you know i mean maybe it's so obvious it doesn't even need saying but i guess i'll say it because i haven't heard it said that many times in my life well say it now (laughs) sister carolyn they are the same they are the same things being taught like the ultimate dreamliness of existence the ultimate um immortality of continuity of consciousness the ultimate um, erotic fuck death love joy of it all the way that the as Crowley said you know that the pain of separation is ultimately as nothing and the joy of union all and like the pain of separation just exists to make the joy, joy of union that much extra hot extra hot oh my god yeah and yeah. Um, and it's just like there I mean what's so amazing and what I'm so grateful for is that in you know, in the Tibetan and the Indian, well, I think especially the Tibetan streams really preserved a level of, like, you know, preserved and cultivated um, a level of technological proficiency and, and, and a body of literature about these techniques that's amazing. I think that probably some similar literature existed in the west but it was just like relentlessly burned out like when you know the muslims burned the library at alexandria the christians did all sorts of intense persecutions of all sorts of mystery cults especially having anything to do with eros (laughs) that filthy filthy (laughs) trickster eros who will lead you down the path of wisdom exactly but like as i was looking at these images of the um you know, these, uh, the Pompeii mystery, um, frescoes, 
I was really reminded of, and I mean, they're, mu they're a much different artistic style than everything, but I was really reminded of the, um, the beautiful paintings. Um, I guess maybe they're also some sort of frescoes that are inside of the Dalai, they're called like the Dalai Lama's secret chambers. I don't know. There was like a book. Like mandalas. Published. Or yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, mo they're exactly. They're like, and I was seeing as I was like going into the visualization, like I was like, I was starting to like sense a mandala of like, uh, pan, like, you know, oh. arising like around, like I could like feel, begin to like feel and intuit it. Um, but yeah, I mean, of course, we're always in the mandala of Pan. <laughs> but um, but anyways, it was just it's just been really um, good times. So, Carolyn, your <laughs> your genius is just one of my favorite things in all the known universe. <laughs> your 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 like rambling curiosity is just such a gift to all of us. Thank you so much. I just heard this from the other room and I wanted to chime in. I think it's an interesting continuation of that oppression. Um, the only Supreme Court ordered book burning in history was uh, on Wilhelm Reich and his findings about Oregon, which was basically his scientific study of chi and prana, but he named after orgasm and he saw everything as like this innately healing benevolent orgasm that is the basis of all life in existence and they ordered literal book burnings of every scientific journal that contained the word orgon all of his books they put they well they told him if you keep doing this studying this you'll go to jail and he did and he went to jail and he died in jail for studying scientifically like the healing power of Eros, basically. And that is like what? a modern iteration of this experience. Yeah, that happened and when did thing. that happen? Was that the nineteen twenties? It was after Freud. I forget when William Reich. Oh my god, that's that's mind blowing. I mean that's like really in line with what we've been talking about, Carolyn, which is that like even in modernity we can see these like sex cult mystery schools trying to emerge in the face of the like numbing, you know, negative, forgetting Saturnian magic of like the material realm as the only reality. And like time and time again, like that overflowing of like make love, not war. Like it's all, it's all love, baby. Just like it's destroyed. Mm -hmm. I mean, just it's, it's very dangerous. Like the level at which they suppress it sort of shows that like they know they're wrong. It seems like it's just super. Well, like they, it, and well, it, like, it shows that they know that they're wrong, and it shows that they know the power of like wholesome sex magic. Well, and like <laughs> let's get let's get out of the language of right and wrong, and like the our, you know the fact that we're like the fact that we began this like meandering contemplation talking about the game of Go, which is the it game. It shows that they know that they're vulnerable. They know that there is an alternate oops, force. Oops, oh, that's the incense. Oh, Hold on, I'm gonna turn this off for a second. You know that you're really talking about intense stuff when the fire alarms go well, off. Well, obviously this incense is getting us really high, so... If you want to burn enough incense to get high, you have to unplug the... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so we were talking about, like, you know, these, like, forces that are battling, and we were talking about how, like, oh, they know they're wrong, but, you know, here we are in the non-dualistic framework where there isn't right and wrong, and we were talking about this game of Go, which is literally just a battle between black and white for territory in the space and each of them is simply trying to live. That's all either of them is trying to do is create life 
for themselves. And so these forces of like, you know, uh, you know, good and evil or like Eros versus numbness or whatever are simply aware of each other and are trying to, you know, in the language of go, they're trying to cut off each other's liberties Mm -hmm. and like create their own life for themselves and enclose more of the terrain Hmm. than the other. And I mean, I think the interesting thing that I'm thinking about as I'm contemplating it as a go game, which is like, no matter how supreme one or the other side is at controlling territory, neither of them will ever control all the territory. There will never be a complete win for either side. They, it just can't. Like, there can be an overwhelming majority, but there won't... Simply because there are two players playing and two forces playing, there won't ever be a situation in which there is only one kind of energy represented in the space. Indeed. And may I add something that I find amazing about the mysteries, because I knew this about Eleusis, that they called it... They referred to Eleusis as the temple of the two deities. Hmm. Um, what I was also learning was that the Dionysius mysteries were considered to have uh, the two shining ones, like be the mysteries of the two shining ones. So, which in many iterations, I guess, was taken to be like Dionysus in union with his consort Ariadne slash Corey. Right. And um, I just think that that's like really fascinating, like the, 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 the doubleness of the deity is right like that's that's how you get to be a deity instead of just like an omnipresent oneness is you are capable of relationship so there's you have a lover you have a child you got you have an enemy you have an enemy you got some relationship going on there's at least two of you (laughs) right right you must intrinsically make yourself double in order to have any kind of thing going on worth talking about (laughs) or else you just live in the infinite cosmic silence which sounds boring as fuck. <laughs> yeah, glad we decided not to do that anymore. <laughs> I mean, you know, sometimes it gets a little rough out here and you're like, damn, I wish I do rem- I do remember the good old days of the quiet before I gave birth to my boyfriend husband. <laughs> but I wouldn't trade it for the world. <laughs> Yeah, indeed, indeed. But I also think, you know, I also always think of, like, um, like on the Thoth deck, like, the sun card, the two little happy sun Sun babies. Sun babies. That's, that's to me, like, the essence of manifest divinity. Yeah. It's just, like, you know, yeah. Playing. Two children playing. Two children playing. Two children playing games. And sometimes they play weird games, like, throwing rocks at each other. And sometimes it gets a little weird. But, like, it's really a couple of kids... Having a good time on a sunny day in the sunshine of the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Amen, sister. Yeah. Yep. That's that's resonating with me. I've been I've been really recently reconnecting with uh, my love of games, and uh, really appreciating how like you know there was like a period where I kind of forgot how much I love playing games with people, um, and. You know, when I don't play games with people, what I generally end up doing with people is talking and like sharing this narrative, like this narrative experience of like, oh, what's going on with me or what are you thinking about or whatever, whatever. And how I just really love the container of a game 
And, like, even the, like, controlled adversarial nature of a game. You know, like, you're my opponent, and we're trying to beat each other's ass and, like, win in this game. But, you know, when you zoom out, like, the two players of a game are like, hey, let's do this thing where we try and, like, beat each other. Let's do this thing where, like, one of us tries to win and the other one's going to lose as a consequence of that. Sounds fun. It'll be entertaining. It'll yeah. absorb our attention. Yeah. You we'll know. just be doing that together. And, like for the fun of it and like you know that's one thing that i've been really noticing about myself is that like some people are super competitive and like when they don't win they're like really having a bad time but i always just feel like man the like win or lose i'm super glad we played yeah i'm super glad we're hanging out doing this thing and like maybe i won like a or lost like a complete idiot and like made the worst possible moves ever but like super great to see your genius super amazing to see how you were playing you know just there's just like it is. It is amazing. Did I see you had a vape somewhere? Oh, of course. Yes, I do. Yes. Um, so, I guess should maybe you I don't know. tell I, me. I mean, like, I don't the people on the podcast. Want, well, okay. I, I mean, what, I feel I, like Go has been such a fun like stepping off point into this like larger mystery because yeah. infinity is in every place and it's all really the same thing. So, if we want to talk about the game, we sure can. But like, it's been a great. It's <laughs> well, been a great I, invitation I'm, to contemplation. I'm curious to hear about how some of your integration from the our first mystery school weekend has been gosh i feel like i don't know how much i can say about that without revealing too much of the mysteries but um one of the things that i've been kind of speaking about this like you know uh yin and yang like cosmic other um has just been like dwelling in the fact that like leading initiations um is an interesting like place of utter union with one's initiates oh yeah and also like complete separation from them because like you were on the other side of that experience oh i know and so like you don't know anything at all about what the people who went through that experience had from it and yet you know everything about it because you watched them. Like, it's just an interesting, like, I don't, I don't know even exactly what I'm saying, but I've just really been enjoying the contemplation of how, like, even in the fact that, like, we know nothing about each other's deep inner space, no matter what, we're all, like, in union with one another. Like, no matter what side of the experience we're on, it's a uh, Yoni Lingam deep union. Yes. We're really inside of each other. Very deeply. Yeah. <laughs> it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. And yeah. it was really gorgeous for me because that was the most I don't want to say too much. Um but I think I think people know we did you know, things went on. Things went on. Things and, happened. <laughs> um it was I guess the largest, most concentrated I feel like most concentrated magical working that I participated in in not well not that I participated in but that I led and so like it was um it was really really beautiful for me to have that experience of so many souls concentrating in that way with intention yes yeah I mean that was one of the beautiful things I think maybe I can talk about this a little bit um, was holding the space of um, we all really know 
Like, every single person deep inside themselves, however unconsciously or consciously, really knows the mystery. Like, really understands what it is. And I think one of the beautiful things that happened this weekend, or that that weekend that we did that, was just allowing that that's true. Mm -hmm. Just allowing that that's the case. That, like, every single being that we look at is looking out at us from a place of, like, I do remember somewhere in myself. Well, yeah. So one thing that I I think can be said, too, is also that in many contexts in life, like whatever regular social contexts, it's sort of like that permission to enjoy that knowingness is not explicitly given, right? And it's like the absence of that permission in our culture I think is what makes so many of us go, you know, a little bit wonky with, like... Sad! Lonely! Yeah, it's... uh, Indeed. And so, like, it was a very deep, fulfilling experience um, of connection to be able to have a space of permission for that shared awareness. Right, and it's not even like we were getting super philosophical or super deep or real heady about it. I mean, I feel like some of the most profound experiences of that weekend for myself and other people was just the silence and even just like the mundanity of you know eating cereal at three o'clock in the morning when you can't sleep because you're too excited and it's too loud anyway and just being like ha 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 like we can all know that we love it Mm-hmm. We really love it, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Like our little bowl of lucky charms and this like crazy situation is what we really, truly love. And like it's not, it doesn't have to be complicated, but it is profound. Like it doesn't have to be deep to be profound. You know what I'm saying? Well, and also simultaneously, I mean, I feel like we were getting quite deep, but <laughs> but what? But, but yes, not in a super heady way. No. And that was another fun thing that I was reading in that Mystai book about the Dionysian mysteries is like, it, it was understood to be not a place where people learned a doctrine, but where they had an experience. An experience. Mm-hmm. Right. Man, I was talking about that with uh, Alan today of like how I've recently been praying that like I become more foolish and like less smart and, like, less interested in, like, getting it and, like, figuring it out and, like, knowing and really moving into the place of just, like, wonder. I bet that really turned Alan on. And <laughs> Maybe it did. <laughs> we'll never know. But, yeah, just, I mean, you were saying something earlier that actually also piqued this thought of, like, yeah, like, the bliss like, bliss is an understanding that surpasses the mind. It's like, like you say in, your, like, lots of your work about how, like, it's the aesthetic appreciation of things, not the, like, intellectual or, like, more moralistic appreciation of things. It's the aesthetic appreciation. And I've been really, like, lately pr- kind of giving my mind the task of, like, look, mind, you're never going to give me answers you're not actually an instrument of answers. You're an instrument of curiosity and wonder. And so, and like, and that has given me some freedom of like, 
you know, it doesn't matter what the like result of any study or curious wandering is. It doesn't matter if it turns into some kind of something. It's just like, oh my gosh, what is that? Why is that like that? Oh my goodness, it's like that and it's similar to this. And like, oh, if you look at this in this way and then you look at that in that way, like, God, they look the same. And instead of trying to be like, why do they look the same? Like, I already know why they look the same (laughs) in a place of myself that can't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And just letting my mind be like, you won't be able to answer that question. So your job is just to look at it and say, wow, (laughs) cool. (laughs) And like, that's the like highest function of the mind is just be like far out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was, it was interesting. (laughs) Like, uh, you know, I've spent a long time with Hermeticism, which has a lot of intellectualism to it. A lot of like, I mean, you could, well, I mean, Hermes is the mind. Hermes is the mind, right? And I was, I've was i been reading Dion Fortune That's books. That's why all of us nerds love Hermeticism. <laughs> I'm reading Dion Fortune books, and Dion Fortune talks about, like, the orange ray and the green ray. And, like, the orange ray is, like, the Hermes ray. And it's a very, like, intellectual ray of, like, you know, the Kabbalah and all of its correspondences and Hellenic astrology and all of its complexities and the tarot images and all of their complexities. And, and I really feel like what the study of that does and and i imagine it's perhaps very similar to like the study of a complex mandala in buddhism because i mean the tarot and astrology those are all mandalas right tree of life is it really it gets the mind to like be like wow uh I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't like the linear mind cannot like hold it all at once and so it just starts to melt it starts to give up right it's like it's like oh i love it like those mandalas are like both they're like they're like tantalizing treats for the mind that the mind is like oh i would just be so flattered (laughs) and like I would just, my pride would love to just immerse myself in like getting it. And so it's like drawn just like by pure Eros, almost like mind Eros into like, I am going to master this system. And then in its attempt to penetrate the system is like overtaken by how much it actually is incapable of doing that. Exactly. In the best way. In the best way. It just, like, loses itself in, like, shuddering intellectual orgasm of, like, it's so good. It's so good. I can't even talk anymore. I can't even speak about it anymore. I just see it, and it's great. (laughs) Yes. And then you just turn into a giant translucent nymph being penetrated by Pan, and you just... And an idiot. The best kind of idiot. Well, Well, that was one of the things that was occurring for me as I was... In embodying the tantrically embodying the nymph, I was like, "Wow, I really feel dumb. I really feel like you know, I'm like I'm like a bimbo nymph." Yes, and it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so mindless. Yes, like just this mindless joy. Yeah, mindless joy. Oh, I'm so glad we're talking about this. I've been really meditating on this, like praying for the mindlessness. Just, I don't know. I just. I'm really adoring, I'm really adoring idiocy and foolishness. Just like the foolishness of like, what? Oh, wow. I didn't know that. 
which is like which is tantric medicine for me because like many times in my life I have been a supreme know-it-all and like that has really been my my bag and so it's fun to just be like no I'd like to lose that I'd like to lose that identity as a person who knows well indeed and there's something about you know that like that you know what is it there's like some sort of saying like um if you're not pissed off you're not paying attention or like if you're not fucking depressed you're not paying attention and it's like uh, yeah, there's a certain way in which smartness, like, utterly fucks you over by, like, <laughs> you, can, is- you know, you can get get depressed or get very angry if you're just constantly listening to that linear mind, because the linear mind finds nothing very much to be happy about in this world. Like, there's so many threats and so many, you know, offenses, um, offenses insults, vulnerabilities, um, and so, you know, beginning to surrender identification with that linear mind feels so awesome because it does, it takes you into that like bimbo place of like, I'm, I'm fucking dumb. On. I'm just enjoying this. <laughs> this is the whole life, death, pain, torture, nurture, sweetness. Yes. Like what is pride? I'm just here <laughs> to be enjoyed. Yeah. To enjoy and be enjoyed. Mm-hmm. What is there to prove? What is, what is there to know? Yeah. I mean, anything that's worth knowing, you already know. I mean, which is not to say that, like, we don't love massive intellect and whatever. But, yeah, it's just a totally different orientation to that. And, like, not trying to let the frustration of the mind who can't know, like, confuse one into being, like, you're lost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like, the mind's lostness is not the same thing as truly being lost. Right. And I mean, I had that experience this summer. I was like, oh, lost my mind. Oh, how great. It was just the best thing that ever happened to me. Turns out didn't really need it anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It'll come back when I need it. It'll be there when I'm looking for it. Yeah. For yeah. It's, it's a gorgeous thing. And I think that that's, you know, I've, um, since 2012, I've heard a lot of talk about like the rising of the divine feminine and, Whatnot. And I guess the way that that makes sense to me these days is really like it's the rising of the, like the nonlinear mind that right. the heart that doesn't need to know the details just is like surrendered and willing to inhabit and feel and receive. Well, and like, yeah, that's one of the I don't know if I've said this on this podcast before, but I'll say it again. Um That's been one of the interesting, like, you know, linguistic, hermetic, mercurial contemplations that I've had over the last year or so is, like, the word understanding has, in English, like, two kind of different connotations, which, like, one kind of understanding is this, like, linear, mental, like, getting it, being able to solve the puzzle, knowing the answer, giving the right answer, you know, being able to reproduce the results because you get it and you can, like, explain it. And then there's the other kind of understanding, which is just like, oh, honey, I understand. Like, I feel you. I know I know what's going on for you mm-hmm. in my body, in my heart, in my soul. Like I understand. Mm-hmm. And like that, that form of understanding is not like comprehension. It's compassion. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is like one of the biggest shifts in consciousness that I've experienced is that like, it's really not about comprehension. It's about compassion. 
Yeah, truly, which is um, the name of understanding and the, the name of her holy grail, according to the cry of the ethers. <laughs> exactly. But it's so interesting how, like, in, in our English language prison, mm-hmm. the word understanding can be a, like, bauble for the mind. Right. Well, something that has helped me with that is thinking about, um, I guess I read somewhere that the word understand, I probably was Heidegger, I think, Heidegger. Because he's German, and it's a definitely super German word. Means standing under the doorway. So standing in under the limen, in the, right. in the liminality. Right. So st- like understanding is like standing in the doorway, like in the fluxing place of exiting and entrancing. Well, and isn't that the name of the of Doth? Isn't Doth on the... Th- N- um, Understanding is the name of Bina. Okay, understanding so, which is, is Bina, which is, which is, is Babylon. Babylon. And Doth is, um, honey, what's what's the name of Doth on the Tree of Life? Is it knowing or knowledge? Knowledge. knowledge. But but Doth, since it's it's the, it's Sephiroth, the final one. Well, it's well, the, it's the Sephiroth that's in the middle of the abyss. Right. And Mahma it's is knowledge. I want to look Hathma, it up. Hakma is wisdom. Like knowledge. Doth is okay. Wisdom, Doth. understanding, and knowledge. And Doth is well. It's interesting because it's invisible. It's invisible. It's so it's the Sephiroth that like exists and does not exist. Knowledge exists and does not exist. And it's the associated with the throat chakra, and the which also extends around the head into the, like the base of the cerebellum, yes. like the medulla, and. As I understand it, it's because it's in that abyss there. <laughs> it's, you know, it's the non-dual. It's it's that place where the mind has melted. Right, and... it's right under the lintel. Mm-hmm. It's like at the lintel of like known experience that you can verbalize and share and articulate and enumerate and chart and graph and whatever. And then beyond that, on the other side of the doorway is... What one would try to talk about with knowledge, but is actually inexplicable, but like standing in that, in that, yeah, liminal space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, you're right. It means knowledge. Yeah, I was Hakma's right. Thanks. Yeah, Hakma's wisdom. It's really great when a guy admits when <laughs> his lady is right. <laughs> so you know, it was a fun synchronicity. Um, after our beautiful mystery weekend, I was sitting with Lulu. Um, at the hotel and you know because okay so Crowley give a bit of context Crowley talks about the fulfillment of the mysteries is when or you know the fulfillment of everything is when the daughter who's in Malkuth the material world you know often you know in mythically represented for example as like Sophia who has like fallen down from heavens and now she's in chains like Simon um, Simon Magus was a magician around the time of Christ who walked around with this beautiful whore named Sophia who was in chains and she was his magical partner and he would explain to people she is the highest of the high and she's fallen down into the lowest of the low representing the soul in the material world okay so the idea is very that- sexy kink play by the way <laughs> <laughs> like, like getting hot just thinking about it damn so so here we are, all of us human souls in the material world in this understanding are, um, are the fallen Sophia. And so the idea is that the daughter, 
needs to unite with the sun. So the sun is Tifereth, and the sun is like the personal, um, you know, the holy guardian angel, or like the personal experience of God, um, I guess the Atman. And so the, the daughter, um, the human personality, the human soul, unites with the sun, and in doing so, she is elevated to the seat of the mother at Bina, and there she wow. awakens the eld of the Allfather, which has gone, you know, which has gotten sleepy with age. The Allfather mm. has lost his virility, but now the the new the new daughter has risen up to the to the state of the mother, and, and he's hot for her. Again. He's hot for her again. I mean, basically, the son has become the father now in this whole ongoing alchemical incest mystery. Circle fuck. But what was so amazing was, so I was sitting with Lulu, oh, now Lulu's playing with the go pieces again, and Lulu was, um, we were sitting on the couch, and she put her hand on my chest, and she said, Mama is Lulu. I was like, Mama is Lulu? She was like, yeah, I Lulu, I Mama. Mama, I Okay, she wants she wants JJ. That's her word for cartoons. But anyways, <laughs> but I, the great wise Lulu demands her. But I thought about that. And, you know, she was asserting the identity of the mother and the daughter, yeah. which was the essence of Eleusis and the essence. Oh yeah, she was also nursing on me. And her word for um, my breasts and the breast milk is mem, which also happens to be. The Hebrew with well, the, the Hebrew letter Mem is means the great waters and is one of the three mother letters. So she calls it Mem, <laughs> just spontaneously. She's, she just, she's a junior ascended hermeticist. <laughs> Let's make and, no mistake. And I, I was so happy after the weekend because it was so beautiful and fulfilling. And she was nursing on me, and she'd never said this before, but she was like, she was nursing, and then she withdrew, and she was like, "Good Mem." It was just like ma'am. Good ma'am. She could just like taste the, the happiness in my breast milk. Um and here's Wait, some water, baby. Hold on. Uh, Let me get you some water. And so that happened. And then what was there? I was thinking of another fun synchronicity. Oh, um, uh, wait, my mind is starting to blur. I don't know. But anyways, all amazing stuff. <laughs> we've, just... we've given the people so much to think about. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like this episode of the podcast has been just really yeah. lovely. And if your mind is giving up, it's because we've been talking about the need for the mind to chill the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> Just chill out. So, anyways, I guess we'll leave you, and maybe I'll let Layla actually teach me some go. And um, thanks for listening, everybody. We love you. Uh, please like us, uh, whatever, follow us on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Give us a little review that helps uh, more lovers of the mystery find us. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Good night.